Okay, so there were skilled workers filled with the Holy Spirit of God, very interesting, and they were called to make the garments for the priest. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemby. I'm Janice. And the name of this program you're watching right here is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We do that every year. We're doing it again this year. Make sure you get this. This is the Bible guide. We'll show you how to do that a little bit later on. But we'll talk about that in about three minutes. Right now, Corey is here. Corey? All right. Well, I am also going to be talking about the priestly garments, but about a very specific part that's a little bit strange, right? Today, I'm attempting to resolve an apparent contradiction within the Bible surrounding the items belonging to the Ark of the Covenant. This is very good stuff. They're coming up in the 20 minutes, 25 minutes, Janice. God, our provider in every way. All right, let's open up the Bible and listen to the Lord. Exodus 28, 1 through 11. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest." They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 through 11. Exodus chapter 26, chapter 27 chapter 28 and chapter 29. This is what we cover today as we read through the Bible. Now the ancient priest of Israel represented people to God as well as God to the people. This is something that we should learn to understand while we are reading the Old Testament. 
because Jesus Christ is the high priest of the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 8. Now, the priesthood could never truly fulfill the law of God. They had to sacrifice animals to cleanse their sin, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, Hebrews 9.22. But our high priest, Jesus the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, shed his blood for our sins once and for all. This according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Romans chapter 6, verse 10, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By his blood we are clothed in his rightness with God or in his righteousness. Now that becomes very important as we continue to read through Exodus chapter 28. And this is a fascinating read today. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to the passage. This is the Bible guide, and that's what it looks like. I want you to make sure that you have one. If you don't, call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide, and it'll take you to uh, a page. Actually, donation first, so thank you for the donations. They truly help us. And then it takes you to a page where you can download it exactly like it's printed. It's very good. But the most important book of all is the Bible. And the Bible I have on the iPad, you can have it on your, get a paper Bible or on your phone or whatever, but follow me along as we go through this. Father, help us today as we wrap our minds around how the priests were clothed, because you have a purpose in this. So Father, we ask that you would show us your ways and teach us your paths as we focus on the scripture and listen to what you've said to us. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, all of us, amen, or make it so. Now, when we begin to read this, it gets very interesting, because Exodus 28 is still about the requirements of the priesthood and law and all of that. So it says, now take Aaron, that would be Moses' brother, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me, capital M, as a priest. Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate or set him apart, that he may minister to me as a priest. Now, I don't know if you get this, but it's fascinating. We go to the point. Skilled workers, gifted by the Holy Spirit, made sacred garments for the priest. The Lord prepares us for his presence. Can you believe that? I grew up in church and I remember people telling me, you can dress however you want to come to church. You don't have to dress a certain way. But I always felt that that's okay, I can do that. Uh, but I, I want to look the best that I possibly can. That's all. And so I don't go to church to judge what other people wear. I go to church to represent worship to God. So I, I try to dress as well as I can, and I come to church. And that's simple. But I think we, we've 
come to the place in the past 50 years where we start judging people for how they look or what they wear. That's the problem. Beloved, we can't do that. Everybody's accepted. And as God begins to work with our lives, we dress accordingly. Well, this is what God was saying to Moses about the priest. He said, if they're going to serve me, they need to be prepared for holiness. Fascinating. Exodus 28, verse 4. Here, watch this. And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, a sash, so that they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Which brings me to this point. The priestly garments were holy and unique. Holy and unique. Being clothed in the rightness with God, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, we are holy and unique in our world. We're holy and unique in our world. Now that seems strange, doesn't it? And we're not holy because of anything we've done. We're holy because the Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to change us. When we truly give our life to Jesus Christ and we point in his direction and we say, Lord, help me. And God says, I will. And suddenly we have the ability to do things that we normally cannot do. Beloved, that is the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that intervention is so important. It doesn't mean we're perfect. But what it does mean is we certainly can do things for God that we could not do before we gave our life to Jesus Christ. So that's what we need to remember. Keep that in mind. Let's learn more from this passage in the next five verses. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked and it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be in the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them, listen carefully, engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six of their names on the other stone, in order of their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in the settings of gold. And that brings me to this point. The priestly items were significant to display God's truth. We must live our lives to demonstrate God's truth in this world. Now, I don't have time to go into it. There is a lot here. But I can tell you that like a signet, a signet was property to show property ownership. So there's an ownership factor there. So keep that in mind. God gives us responsibility, and that responsibility is truly important, beloved. We are responsible for how we talk, and we're responsible for our speech, 
and we're responsible how we treat each other and how we treat others. And so that becomes important for our witness. May we be responsible today. All right, well, in our scripture reading today, the Bible goes over the priestly garments, how they were made, all the different aspects of them, and it mentions something called the Urim and Thummim. Now, these stones, these gems, they seem to have a very interesting purpose that shows up not only here, but elsewhere in the scripture. So let's take a look at them. The Urim and Thummim of the Bible are a bit of a mystery. They were held by the nine-inch square fabric breastpiece of the high priest's garb that was decorated by 12 stones, each carved with the name of an Israelite tribe. Despite extensive descriptions of the high priest's outfit, as well as the 12 stones, the Bible is surprisingly silent on the Urim and Thummim. What they were made of, how many of them there were, and their exact function are areas of debate. The only crystal clear thing about them was their purpose. They were to be used for making decisions for the Israelite nation. This decision-making was to be done in the presence of the Lord by the high priest at the request of the leader of Israel. How this process worked has been a matter of discussion. The Jewish Roman historian Josephus links the breastpiece with a special manifestation of God's presence that involved the glowing of the stones on the breastpiece and on the shoulders of the high priest. This association may stem from the possible meaning of Urim and Thummim as light and perfection. Other Jewish traditions envision messages from God being spelled out by a miraculous light, or a vision that saw the carved letters standing out from the names carved on the stones of the breastpiece. While these traditions are interesting, especially in the light of the potential meaning of Urim and Thummim, it's wise to examine the biblical passages that allude to their use. In 1 Samuel 14, King Saul inquires of God by the Urim and Thummim. When God doesn't respond, Saul gathers the nation for prayer and then sets designations for the Urim and Thummim. Urim will mean Saul, Thummim will mean Jonathan. Then the scriptures say they cast the lot between them. This term may explain the small number of mentions of the Urim and Thummim in the Bible. The phrases inquiring of the Lord and casting lots may refer to the use of Urim and Thummim depending on context. Casting lots was also a pagan form of divination and as such was actually outlawed by the Mosaic law. So how do we reconcile the apparent discrepancy between God outlawing divination while also sanctioning a certain kind of it? First, it's helpful to note that the Urim and Thummim were only to be used in the presence of God by the high priest and the leader of the nation. It was their way of deferring ultimate leadership to God's will. Anything apart from this was considered apostate. Second, the prophet Samuel's chastisement of Saul may be helpful here. He says that rebellion is like the sin of divination. How? Rebellion rejects the current authority and seeks to do things its own way, as divination rejects the proper methods of communicating with the spiritual world and seeks to do that its own way. 
So when it came to divination, was Israel willing to follow God? Or would they make excuses to justify becoming like the cultures around them? There's a lot more to say about the priestly garments, obviously, than just looking at the Urim and Thummim here. Um, but I hope that as you continue reading through the scripture this year, you're going to notice now uh, different areas where it talks about casting lots or making decisions, the high priest making decisions for the kings when we get into the time period, you know, when we get into Samuel and the kings and chronicles, because it does pop up quite a bit. Uh, and it's interesting to have this as our backdrop and remember what it is that they're talking about. Now, this Urim and this Thummim, this, this is a fascinating uh, discovery. And a lot of people, uh, they, they say that they can find it, but that's really how God removed the influence of man when people would come, when the priest would come to make a decision for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It, it was interesting. And, and, it, and it's, it's interesting to, to think about how Israel was set up fundamentally different than the nations around it, whereas God was seen as their actual king. Uh, it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, very good. Ryan? All right, well, today I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant, which was the central part of the tabernacle. And some skeptics see some contradictions between the Ark and the items contained within it. For instance, they note how the books of Kings and Chronicles state that only the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments were inside the Ark. Yet Hebrews 9 says that the Ark contained not only the stone tablets, but also the golden censer of manna and the budding rod of Aaron. Another apparent discrepancy has to do with the placement of the manna and rod, because Exodus 16 and number 17 seem to indicate that these items were placed before the Ark of the Covenant, but Hebrews 9 says that they were within it. But are these truly contradictions? Does the Bible contain errors and contradictions? Sometimes, without careful consideration of the scriptures, it can appear so. For example, it seems that there is a discrepancy regarding the items contained within the Ark of the Covenant. That's because while 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 9 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 10 clearly state that only the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments were inside the Ark, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 says that the Ark contained not only the stone tablets, but also the golden censer of manna and the budding rod of Aaron. However, in reality, there is no contradiction here because these passages are referring to two totally different times in Israel's history. Hebrews is referring to an earlier era in Israel's history during the time of Moses, when the Ark included the tablets, the censer of manna, and Aaron's rod. But 1 Kings chapter 8 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5 are referring to a point in history much later on, the time of Solomon's temple. And obviously by this time, the manna and rod had since been removed. Another apparent discrepancy has to do with the placement of the manna and rod. For example, Exodus chapter 16 verses 23 through 34 and Numbers chapter 17 verses 10 through 11 seem to indicate that these items were placed before the Ark of the Covenant, but Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 says that they were within it. One solution to this is found in the original Hebrew text of these Torah passages, which can be translated to indicate that the objects have been placed inside the Ark, not before it. Thus, all these passages would be in harmony. But even if the Hebrew text didn't allow for such a translation, there still would be no contradiction. This is because Hebrews 9 never claims that the manna and rod were inside the ark all the time. Nor does Exodus 16 nor number 17 claim that the manna and rod were before the ark all the time. It's very conceivable and even probable that sometimes these items were placed before the ark 
and at other times, perhaps during their travelings through the wilderness, these items were stored within the ark. Hence, there is no reason to doubt the accuracy of the biblical text. So as we can see, there are no contradictions between these verses because the passages in question refer to two totally different times in Israel's history. We have to remember that the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years and covers some 4,000 years of history. Yeah, it's important to remember that it's easy for us to say these things about the Bible because we read it. And as we read most books, this, well, this happened, you know, over the course of 20 years. And this, no, this happened over 4,000 years. Yeah. And you see the cultures change and be different. And God speaks to all of the cultures. So it's important that we hear what God is saying to the culture and hear what he says to us. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. Very good, right? Janice? Well, I had a moment here while I was sitting and listening to all of you do your segments. And I'm hoping that my Bible flipping wasn't causing a distraction underneath. Um, but I had something, I, I titled this God, Our Provider in Every Way. We're reading about the garments for the priesthood. And I do have notes in front of me. And the first line says to remind myself, God is our provider. He clothes us and provides for us as his children. And I was going to talk about all of the different designs here we learn in this chapter. I'm just going to read my notes because then I'm going to sway off of them. We learn in this chapter the intricate garments for the priests and those that God has called and given the ability to make them. The Lord provided clothing and food for those who served in his presence. We've been going through that. We've been reading about that in Exodus. We're gonna learn that through Leviticus. So the Lord provided clothing and food uh, for those who served in his presence in contrast to other pagan rituals which focused on clothing and feeding the idol gods. So it was a complete reversal. God was making a way for those that he called into his service that he would be the one to provide for them as they served him. So the men and the women who would make the priestly garments would use the abilities that God gave them. They were filled with a spirit of wisdom, God's spirit of wisdom, and this would be displayed here in both willingness and skill to do the needed work. Now, as I was sitting here, reading my notes again, getting prepared to talk with you, all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, this is so much like Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about you can't serve God and riches. You serve one or the other. And then he goes into, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes into a description. I would challenge you to read it for yourself. But then we get, we get down to verse 32. And Jesus continues and he says, For after all these things, the Gentiles seek, or people who don't believe. People who don't believe, pagans. After all these things, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So Jesus is reminding us that God is our provider for everything. Why are we worried about these things? And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus was reminding us of these very same things here. God was letting his people know he was going to clothe his people. He was going to 
to make food available to his people as they served and did the things that he called them to do. He gave these artisans the gift of his wisdom, the gift of his Holy Spirit in order to to produce the things that he was calling them to do and they willingly did it. They willingly did it. They came out of an environment in Egypt where they had jobs. They they worked and toiled and labored under Pharaoh, who had, we learned, a very hard heart. He thought he was God. And now here they are learning about the character of their heavenly father, God. And still today, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said, you know what? You focus on my righteousness. You focus on doing the things that I have called you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. And these other things, they will be added unto you because I know as your heavenly father, I know the things that you need. So you follow me and you trust me. And that doesn't mean, Rod, that we're not going to have trials, that we're not going to have times where we struggle, because we will. Jesus told us, you will have trials, but he said, I've overcome the world. And so we have to learn. It's a, it's a walk of faith, really, when we choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin to grow. We don't know everything all of a sudden. We don't, and, and we don't know that here either, do we? We don't sit here and proclaim to know everything that the Bible says and everything. We don't have all the answers, but we know who does. And that's God. That's why we want to discover God's word. We want to make sure that we're reading it every day, just like we eat meals and we drink water. We have to take nourishment in order to be healthy. Our bodies need to be healthy. Same way with our spirits. We need to to be nourished in the word of God. We need need to eat it and breathe it so that we know how to react and respond to the situations that come up in our life. But the bottom line here is God is our provider in every way. And as we walk with him, the, the, the longer that we walk with him, the more that we know that we can trust in him. Not because we're so smart or we're so strong, but we know that he is all wisdom and that we can come to him with anything and he will help us through. Sometimes we even need to be carried, Rod, and that's okay because God is our good father. He's our shepherd. In fact, he is. And that's a great uh, place to start and to remember the Lord knows our future. He knows what's going to happen next. He knows what's coming on the program next. He, He understands all of that. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 3.30 to 4.30, we have a special prayer meeting and my invitation is for you. Why don't you take some time and join us if you can, or you can watch the rebroadcast. Just watch it, it's up on the website, it's on YouTube channel, and join us. Today, let's pray and pray this way. Lord, help me to be what you desire of me. And that's pretty hard for me to do, but Lord, help me to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. 